You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. All right, this is Doug and Greg Stokes with Lanyap Podcast. We've got a special guest this week, Dan Cooper, who is the founder and CEO of, uh, is it Rock Investments or ROC? How do you like to, you call it Rock? Um, I like it. People tend to default to rock, but it's important that people understand ROC stands for return on character. So. All right. We'll get, we'll say ROC investments. I'm going to do, I'm going to do a, a bio here, Dan, and then we'll just jump right into it. Um, Dan started his career working for famed trader Joe Ritchie at Fox River Financial Resources LLC in 1997. Under Mr. Ritchie's mentorship, he gained experience in equity portfolio management, quantitative training, venture capital, private equity, and real estate investing. He pioneered the firm's first character-based investment strategy, which we'll talk about uh, an evolution of that today, created a model to quantify the character and integrity of public company CEOs. He managed the portfolio for four years with investment allocations up to $60 million. The strategy outperformed its benchmark every year. Uh, Dan went on to found Unity Development Group in 2013, a special purpose company seeking to win the mandate to build a $6 billion railway from Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, to Kigali, Rwanda. That's, that has a, a bit of a ghost in the darkness vibe <laughs> to me, if, uh, if you recall. If you recall that movie and, uh, and book. Yeah. Um, Dan successfully... I fought, off a lot of, I fought off a lot of the lions, but they weren't the same kind. <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, successfully formed a world-class American consortium with U.S. Exam Bank, Bechtel, and HDR Engineering around an economically viable investment structure to build the first standard gauge railway for the Tanzanian Central Corridor. Dan holds a Bachelor of Science in, politi and in Political Science from Calvin University and lives in, with his wife, Elizabeth, and two boys, Simon and Wesley in Redding, California, which uh, we haven't been up that far north in California, but as you described before we hit record, is an abs absolutely beautiful part of the world, so we need to make it there. Um, I want to start before we get into the ROC concept with, uh, we were talking before we hit record, just your background and all the interesting places you've been. Um, the first the first uh, piece I want to dive into, and we, you discussed it briefly, but let's uh, start here, is your work in Afghanistan. Can you just briefly describe when you were there, what you were doing, and the results of your, we'll call it an operation over there? <laughs> well, I, I have to first say, look, one of the things that, that uh, enabled a lot of these crazy stories to happen is I got lucky by uh, getting a guy like Joe Ritchie to tap me on the shoulder and say, follow me. Um, this, this, he was my mentor. He was one of the greatest traders of his time. So I founded a, a very successful trading firm, uh, sold it. And I, I joined him when we were managing his own money, which gave us the freedom to kind of almost do whatever we wanted to do. Um, and that included investments and things. Joe, uh, Joe, when he was a young kid, his parents were missionaries in Afghanistan. And so he lived there for four years and he, he grew this, what I became, eventually came to understand this incredible affinity for the place, for Afghanistan. And, uh, and so he went off, made a bunch of money, was very, very successful, but he always had a heart for the place and wanted to find a way to somehow get Afghanistan back in the hands of the Afghans. And about 
two years before 9-11, uh, we, we started working together with the former commander, Abdul Haq, uh, who fought the Russians uh, when the Russians were occupying uh, Afghanistan. And then the former king of Afghanistan, who was exiled by the Russians to Italy, in a strategy to have the Talib commanders flip loyalty to to the returning of the king, um, uh, under the auspices of Abdul Haq's leadership, and we were working in uh, so Joe and our and my job was to work Washington and get them informed, and Abdul Haq's job was to get the commanders ready, and so he, we had about a hundred and some odd satellite phones that he was using to communicate with in country. Uh, commanders. Uh, Joe and I would spend a lot of time in Washington working with the CIA, the State Department, the White House, uh, certain members of con Congress. We got an act of Congress with Tom Campbell, Representative Tom Campbell, uh, in support of the, return of the return of the king. All these things in the hope that, you know, uh, that you get significant U.S. support, which eventually didn't materialize. Um, and then on the day uh, we finally decided we we're going to go ahead and do it ourselves without them because it wasn't a pitch battle. It was more of an implosion from within in Afghanistan and uh, informed the State Department that we we're going to proceed. And we flew in on a Monday morning to have the conversation about uh, the process. Uh, when we were in the cab, uh, we, we, we flew in the FBO at Reagan in the cab driving over to, to the State Department. We heard about the Twin Towers getting hit. And then um, <clears throat> and then when we were standing on the State Department steps waiting for Bud McFarlane, uh, one of our partners in the effort, and the former Reagan National Security Advisor to have this meeting at the State Department, we looked up and there was a plume of smoke, you know, coming from where the Pentagon was. And so we realized we weren't gonna have our meeting and we realized now that everybody was going to, we, we put two and two together fairly quickly that this was an Afghan sourced problem. And, uh, and that led us into a more active role. And I think two months after 9-11, we were, I was in Afghanistan, um, crossed over the Tolkien border in Pakistan and was trying to work with, uh, you know, the, the, the tribal elders in the process. Abdul Haq's plan went to plan. Uh, all the commanders flipped loyalty. He unfortunately was killed in the process, which was incredibly sad. Uh, Joe and I met with Karzai in the, in the in the palace in Kabul, and then I went I went back in 2003 as well, uh, and we were trying to work with the tribal elders. So, anyway, that's about as brief as I can give it to you. But that's a little bit of the story and and uh, our involvement there, or my involvement there. When did you When did you make your way back from that working with Joe directly to back into the investments business, what was that transition process like? I guess more of the, in, whether it's institutional retail investment business from that, that family office. Yeah, no, I think, um, well, you know, you always got to jump out of the nest at some point. And the way, the way I did is I went and tried to build a railroad um, in Tanzania to Rwanda. Uh, and I formed a strategy and a portfolio, uh, or not a portfolio, but basically a mandate uh, or plan to to build uh, about a 970 kilometer rail line 
in a part of the world where their transportation costs, especially in Rwanda, is 40, you know, like 40% of the cost of goods and things that they have in the country is transportation costs. It's just insane. Um, and so the idea was, is that we needed to build a rail line. Um, and I, at the time I had uh, been working with the CEO and, and chairman of the BNSF railway who had kind of lend the support of the BNSF railroads technology and capabilities to help prove or disprove the viability of the corridor we proved the viability of the corridor and then we um <clears throat> then we set out to build actual the actual deal um and and it was a it was a process i mean it, it was a difficult situation because uh you're competing with at the end of the day i think a lot of uh, lack of understanding of how railroad industry is financed, project finance, uh, railroad economics, and those fundamentals uh, at the government level. And it proved to be something that they didn't quite understand. And I had to pull pull away from it. Um, and so that was that was a sad thing because they, <laughs> they, we, we had this extraordinary opportunity teed up for them and, and um, and we had to we had to pull away, and it wasn't because of corruption. It wasn't because the Chinese were were competing against us. Um, the Chinese were actually five x more expensive than us on a on a uh, per kilometer rail build. Um, it was just a lack of institutional capacity. And so I came back, and I felt like the world could use a, a character strategy that I developed in the early two thousands with my mentor Joe. Um, and only this time we wanted to offer it to the whole world. So we created uh, Rock ETF, uh, Return on Character ETF, and launched it March of this year. Does that bring us to bring us up? Is that the how how are we doing I, as I far think, as? <laughs> I think we, we we it was a very uh, big gloss over. It's such an interesting past. Um, <laughs> come full circle. But no, I think it's that brings us to sort of where you are today, which is. I, I have always found this interesting because you have this whole quantitative versus qualitative view of yeah. investments, and the quantitative view has always been easy to pull off of financial statements, whether it's you know price to earnings from a value perspective or return on capital from a um, reinvestment perspective. But management quality has always been sort of that difficult one to grasp because how do you really define – uh, the value uh, and character of whoever's running the business. And that, that goes so much into it. How do you measure culture uh, and the yeah. impact of culture in a business? And so that's always been sort of the qualitative component that you can run this screen and say, look, I found this company. It's got, you know, low price to earnings ratio. It's in a, it's growing market share. It's got high return on capital. It, you know, it buys back stock and you can kind of run the screen, but then, then you go to the manager component and you have to really do some digging and what other people say is yeah i've had meetings with managers and you know i'm going to justify my expense by listening to all the quarterly calls and following up and in meeting with the ceo cfo uh, and that's the qualitative component so how do you how do you quantitative quantify something that's qualitative i guess is the root of that question yeah i think that's a it's, it's the obvious question um i think i, I kind of need to go back to how the idea kind of came about. And that was, um, I, I developed the first character-based strategy in the early 2000s and 
and it was out of a conversation. Joe, Joe said to me, man, I just wish I knew who the good ones were in the market. I just, I mean, the, the, the people with character, because I think they ha it has a huge impact on the long-term performance of the company. And, and, and the premise was this, is that like you were saying, there's so many different, so many people looking at kind of the same sets of data and trying to come at it in different ways and slice and dice it and try to get the edge. And the, and the notion of going into that pool and trying to compete with a better slicing and dicing of the data to deliver some alpha, you know, that seemed like a lot of work. But the one area where people seem to not even put a value on it at all is the character of leaders. Uh, and, and so the theory was, is if we can be better than zero in our, in our understanding over a broad set of companies, could we derive a certain, a, a kind of alpha uh, or a, a niche that would that would deliver some outperformance over time? And so that's what we did is we went out and kind of asked the questions that nobody ever asked, like, you know, of the companies you follow, Mr. Analyst, who would put, put the company before their own interests? You know, uh, who has a reputation for telling the truth? You know, these are like simple things and the answer can be quantified, right? I mean, they're kind of shavings of gold that that most people say, oh, I can't I can't do anything with that. Well, what we were doing is kind of picking them up, putting them in value and then and then letting them inform our 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 confidence and looking at kind of the overall trend. And so that's what we did initially. And and um, when I came back um, and, and what was fun about it was that and this is honestly what Joe cared more about than even the strategy outperforming, which it did, was that it gave us the list of the great leaders and the CEOs in the marketplace. And then we used that list when I got to know when we got to know the president of Rwanda and I started introducing President Kagame to these high character CEOs that we had pre-qualified. And we did all sorts of wonderful things there. Um, and but but the confidence of the strategy that we have today is 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 sits on kind of two pillars one we went and looked at the performance of the original character strategy that we ran and it did very well and we back tested it which uh to if we would have continued uh for 20 years and the outperformance was consistent and we did factor analysis on that strategy and tried to understand where it came from. Was it various different factors that drove that outperformance? And only 30% of the outperformance was attributable to traditional factors. 70% was um, <clears throat> was unexplainable. And and so that kind of led us into this, you know, notion that maybe there's a leadership factor that that plays a significant role in the performance of a company. Uh, and then. When I was working in Africa trying to build the railroad, this guy, Fred Keel, wrote this book called Return on Character. We named the fund after it. And it was a seven-year study of high-character CEOs versus low-character CEOs. And his and it was published by Harvard Business Review. Uh, and his study came out and essentially proved that high-character CEOs outperform low-character CEOs by 5x as return on assets. That's what was their measurement tool, as well as a number of other carried-on benefits. Um, these two bodies of kind of research and understanding really kind of gave us a lot of confidence and excitement about launching a strategy today around the same principles. And so 
I actually ended up hiring the firm that developed and did all the research for uh, the book Return on Character, KOW International, which is an extraordinary company. Um, and we went out and tried to identify leaders today using some new and really exciting ways of doing it. Um, first of all, Return on Character defined character in a really wonderful way, and they do it in, in these ways. There's four pillars of character, uh, integrity, responsibility, forgiveness, and compassion. Uh, they prove that when CEOs behave with those four characteristics at a, at a highly consistent level, performance is, is correlated. And so we are doing the same thing and have done the same thing as we go out into the market and look for those four characteristics in leaders. And we look for evidence of that. Uh, one of our first screens is behavioral integrity screen. And it's a, it's a screen that we partnered with professors from the University of Virginia, Yale, Duke, and INSEAD uh, that they developed in using natural language processing to gauge the degree in which uh, a CEO using language from shareholder letters and other, other uh, sources in which a CEO has a high degree of integrity. And they're, they, they generate and create this thing called a Lint score. And their, their, their high scoring Lint scores correlated very high with the, with the CEOs that the book Return on Character also found. So we found an automated system to help us um, automate the process of taking the Russell 1000 down to a smaller segment. And then once we had that smaller segment, um, we had a team of, uh, that went out and looked at publicly available data for responsibility, forgiveness, and compassion, evidence of behavior characteristics like that, and then independently scored it. And then the composite of those, all, all those individual scores for each one of those four pillars made up the composite character score, which informs who's in our portfolio. Um, that's a long answer to your question, but that's that's a little bit of what we do. Um, uh, and that's how we go about what it. What percentage, so you mentioned that you apply this screen to the Russell 1000, which is like the thousand biggest US companies. Yeah. What percentage yeah. of companies qualify as uh, uh, satisfactory for purposes of the parameters that you specify? Well, we only have right now 101 okay. companies in our portfolio. Um, and, um, and so it's, it's market cap weighted and the way we structured it was we really wanted to, uh, make it so that any appreciated outperformance is attributed to the factor that we're trying to identify, which is character. And, uh, and so right now, you know, our beta is lower than the market and it's performing in line with the way that we designed it. Um, but the other side of it, guys, is the, you know, even if you, if, if you believe, let's say we didn't call it character, we called it something else. And it was a, it was a neat idea to try to find alpha. That that's one reason. But the other side benefit is this, is that like, I don't know if you guys have ever had to work for a bad boss and how it makes you feel and how it ha affects the organization. We think those things really matter, not only in their performance, but also in the way just the world works. And, um, and the more we can start allocating capital towards leaders that are at least striving for these four characteristics by evidence of the information that we gather, 
um, the more I think you make the you make make things better. And when we invest in the market, we're affirming lots of things. And one of the things we're affirming is behavior. And in a way, what Rock Investments represents is kind of a new orientation for consideration, if you will, and how you spend and invest your money to get returns. And we think that not only does this hopefully outperform do better than the market over time, but we also think if Wall Street wakes up and starts to see that there's a lot of people that care about this, um, you know, it could it could have a positive effect. And maybe boards of directors start asking, well, why aren't they, why isn't my CEO on the list? You know, so. What, what? Oh, oh, this is, I guess, leads to another uh, point that I've been thinking about is it, and I think that's been in the news a lot lately, is the traditional scoring metrics for ESG, environmental, social, and governance, and specifically the governance factor that um, a lot of these you know, pensions and endowments and asset managers have been promoting good governance across management and boards. And uh, and then there's been a lot of blowback to that. Can you just give an opinion on traditional ESG metrics and how the sort of the rock mindset would fit into that? My my orientation on that is pretty simple. You know, an ESG score without a leader that really believe, believes in it and and, company, and leads with those values is an ESG score that's probably pretty vulnerable. Um, you know, you need leaders that actually believe in it. I'd rather have a CEO that that leads with the behaviors that we look for than, say, a company that has incredible ESG scores based on some consultant and advisory firm they hired to get it done. I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like we should be have L, leadership plus ESG. Uh, it's kind of almost like a new component to consideration. Because um, any, you know... I also think Any the, ESG, lead, the ESG component can be gamed completely too. And that's it, the, exactly, it can be gamed. Just in like, like this FTX stuff. Like, like they had a fantastic. Yeah, I'm right. looking at this is a, a Sam Bankman. I actually was thinking about that when you when we were I, after I asked the question. It says Sam Bankman Fried's fraudulent FTX got a higher ESG score on leadership and governance than Exxon Mobil. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's I, it, it, how do you even how do you even look at if you're if you're a an ESG score how do you look yourself in the mirror versus developing a framework that actually has some uh, quantifiable results attached to it like something like this yeah and and I mean one of the other tricks too is and this is often said in, in, in FTX example is is an interesting one and it, it it's funny how history kind of repeats itself over and over and over again right um, but um, you know, they, these early founders tend to be brilliant, but they also tend to be productive narcissists, you know? And so, um, you know, in my general rule, I don't, I, I say don't bet against productive narcissists because you don't know what's going to happen. They're, they are the company, you know, because, so they will put the company before their own interest. In this case, it's also, you know, productive narcissists are extraordinarily volatile. And they can go off the rails, especially a young 20-some-odd kid, um, and, and mess up pretty fast. Um, and we just don't do that. You know, that's not our fund. We don't invest in anything close to productive narcissists. We're really oriented towards finding companies where uh, they're really kind of bu building for 
for very long term. In other words, succession management, where you're creating a culture and you're putting leadership in place that um, that really hopefully goes on beyond even the leaders um, over time. And so, you know, I, I've I've i sometimes I mean, we can have a debate about you know does character matter in in private equity or venture capital? That's an, I think it really matters when you're building great organizations and you're investing in the long term, and that's kind of our. Right. Focus. If you read the um, the Sequoia uh, description of their uh, due diligence for uh, Sam Bankman-Fried and and for that entity, it was pretty laughable, and it's basically diamet diametrically opposed to what you're talking about here, where they said during the meeting that he was basically playing a video game the whole time. Um, but yeah, so I, I, it totally makes sense that that you're looking for sustainability. There, there. It, it doesn't mean that those types of uh, leaders, those productive narcissists, um, can't produce amazing results. But they can also things can go sad no. really quickly, like you're saying. They, yeah, I mean, it can go. So, and, and like those little stories about playing video games during. I mean, those become almost an endearing factor in that world, right? right? Oh wow, he's so smart. He doesn't even need to pay attention. That's a good sign. We should invest. You know, you know, if that's the way you want to invest in the arena you want to play in, God bless you. Good luck. But, you know, for us, we really want to affirm. I mean, I think I think if ever there was a place that character matters, it's in leadership. You know, you'd like to see it throughout the organization. But if you don't have it at the top, you're just inherent risk, I think, goes up. And um, and and also, by the way, the more we affirm this kind of behavior set culturally, um, I think the, the better our country becomes, honestly. Um, I think it's an important thing. I mean, it's what we try to teach our kids, I think, at least I try to, I think most of us do in America. Um, so, so yeah, it's, 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 it's to, to each investor's choice. Uh, but we're kind of providing for the first time an option to invest in the markets based on behavior. And that's, that's kind of our unique edge or angle, if you will. How does how does your framework compare to the good to great Jim Collins framework? There's been there's been many leadership yeah. books. I can think of also uh, the Outsiders as a book uh, Will Thorndike wrote about um, exceptional leadership and capital allocation. But how does this? How, where do you fit in that sort of um, competing framework for measuring leadership? We're 100 percent aligned with that. I mean, my original character fund was originally um based off uh jim's jim's research results in the sense that he reluctantly came to the conclusion that certain behavior characteristics drove what he attributed to outperformance and so we took those behavior characteristics and behave and built behavior-based interview processes to, to to gauge the degree in which um we think a certain ceo fit that specific level five leadership standard. Um, and we use that even to, to the, you know, to this day. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's kind of what we're looking for. I mean, we are, we're standing on the shoulders of, of, of Jim Collins research, Fred Keel's research. And, and then we have our own internal research that we did from a, a, a portfolio that I worked with, with Joe Ritchie early on. All these things are pointing to the fact that, you know, character matters, and and uh, it's it's worth considering when allocating cash. 
How do you, what is a measure to change a particular, let's say 10% of the companies in the Russell 1000 fit in your portfolio. How often is that portfolio reviewed and, and what's a determinant for exclusion? So you're scoring them at some, is it annually that they're scored? And then- They're scored annually and then, the, and then we rebalance quarterly. And then if a CEO leaves his position, his or her position, we, we sell the company and reevaluate. Um, and so that's kind of our determinant um, of, and, and then of course we have uh, standards in place that if there was a significant breach in moral and ethical behavior, that would also be a, a, a reason to exit. Um, but, but for the most part, that, that's kind of how it works. What's, uh, is it weighted by market cap? Is that how you're? Uh, yeah, that's okay. the way it's structured today. Yeah. Okay. Um, in terms of the underlying positions in the fund, we don't have to get into any of them, but um, give me, maybe give me an example of a company that has scored on that particular list, and that's not in the fund, but had, maybe has scored very poorly and one that scored very high. So we can give you an example. <laughs> well, we don't go into the poor scoring leaders um our focus is really on on the good ones that's what kind of makes this business fun um and we get enough of the negative stuff in the media and and um it, it's it, so we tend to focus on the good ones um you know uh, some classic historical examples that were in my original strategy were companies like southwest herb kelleher or jim Sinegal at costco uh, Tim Boyle, even today at, at, at uh, Columbia Sportswear, was on the original uh, strategy. Um, fun ones to watch, honestly, today that uh, surprised me are like um, the new CEO or the current CEO of Microsoft and the cultural transformations that he is leading there are, are unbelievable given where Microsoft's culture was before. Um, and it's been really fun to watch him and see him be a part of, uh, of our strategy. Um, and then there's, you know, there's others, but we, I, I, I don't spend a lot of time, um, talking about the individuals. I just look at our data, look at what's, what's be what our process produces and, and trust that. And so far it's guided us pretty well. Do you think, so you mentioned, yeah, you don't yeah. like to talk about the, uh, the, the ones that don't score well. But you did mention that they were thinking we should have we should you know, we should have we should have sold Meta when we had a chance when they <laughs> right. changed. Their they probably name. didn't fit into that that <laughs> those parameters. But the but you mentioned that the, the in pursuant to your research that the ones in your fund scored five times better than the ones at the I guess at the bottom decile. No 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 we need to we need to be very clear on that the research yeah the, pursuant to the research conducted by Fred mm -hmm. Keel in the book, we turn on character, their outcomes were, they called them, um, we call, they called them virtuoso CEOs, scored or produced 5X the amount of return on assets compared to the self-focused uh, CEOs that they had in their study. Um, and so th that that informs our, our understanding for sure. I mean, one of the things, I, if you, uh, if, for fun, I'll mention uh, the behavioral integrity analysis that we run using artificial intelligence of language 
to develop together with the professors uh, from the universities we work with, that system detected the wildcard company in Germany. I don't know if you know about wildcard yeah. and just the, the crazy. So that that system flagged very, very aggressively that company as a problem. Um, so but again, we don't focus on the negative, so we wouldn't even we wouldn't be orienting towards that. You'd have to go talk to short sellers. Right. Exactly. That's what that was my question. Like I wonder if that that research is is utilized by individuals that are looking for ideas to for, short. for going short or betting against a particular company. Well, I will tell you, when we first did this in the early 2000s, um, we went long the good guys and short the bad guys because we collected information on both. And the shorts slaughtered us. Like for three months or four months, we were just getting slaughtered. And what we realized is that the quote unquote bad folks, the arrogant folks or individuals that have bad character rep uh, reputations were the best at manipulating truth. Right. They were the best at framing things as maybe different than they are. And and so the consequence of that it became a market timing game where you're trying to bet right. when they're going to blow up. And that's, yeah, that's, that's a great a, point. That's a hard yeah, thing to really do. Is. That's a really yeah, hard you thing have this to guy, do. For example, uh, Sam Bankman Freed, who just his net worth was like 16 billion dollars on a Monday and like one dollar on a Thursday because he was able to perpetuate that narrative. Um, so, yeah, if you were betting against him yep. for the preceding 24 or 36 months you yeah. would have gotten you would have had to close shop yeah you'd be, you'd right. be bankrupt yeah, yeah i mean it's the old saying that the the market could stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent it comes down to comes down to timing on that on that front well uh dan we're coming up on 30 minutes so i wanted to uh wrap up there but uh, first of all i want to say appreciate you joining us and explaining the the ETF and your background. It's an amazing story that you have, uh, and also coming full circle with you know starting on a return on character framework and and now, you know the, the second part of your career is is relaunching that from a retail perspective. Um, for listeners out there that are interested in following your research and hearing about you more, where where can we find you? Um, well. Our our website is rockrocinvestments.com, and um, our ticker is Rock Rocky R O C I Rocky, and um, would love for people to engage and and help us affirm character in the market. So, um, if anyone has any questions, they can reach out to me directly too uh, at. Uh, Dan at rockinvestments.com, rocinvestments.com. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for joining. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com.
The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.